listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast. We're your hosts, Nicole Militello, Alyssa Hurst, and I'm Lauren Fultonberg. How much is an hour of your time worth? Up until 1938, that was between you and your employer. But that year, President Roosevelt and Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, a law that said every working American deserves at least 25 cents an hour. Today, the minimum wage varies depending on the state or even the city that you work in, but it can't be less than $7.25 an hour. Now, President Biden and a new blue Congress want to double that to at least $15 an hour for all Americans. The first raise in more than a decade, which is also raising the blood pressure in the business community. We asked University of Denver economist Jack Strauss to help us sort out the proposal, who would win, who would lose, and if we even need a federal minimum wage at all. And he explained that the push and pull between healthy workers and healthy businesses has been an issue for a long time. Henry Ford was a very strong Republican capitalist, but he realized the case for higher wages because he wanted good workers working hard, less absenteeism and less turnover. And he doubled his wage rate at his Ford Motor Plant. $5 um, wage back then actually um, strongly improved um, productivity at his plants. And pretty soon a lot of other factories also adopted. So the current minimum wage has not been changed um, since 2009. So for 12 years, workers uh, working at fast food restaurants and other retail um, stores, hospitality sector have not received a wage. And uh, if you work at the minimum wage, you're basically, you, you are below the poverty line if you're a a married person, if you have kids, you're well below the poverty line. So Joe Biden and the Congress is trying to kind of rectify America's low minimum wage, which is below most European countries, by raising it to $15. It's clear that we need to raise the minimum wage because, again, it's below what France pays, what Germany pays, what Norway pays, what Australia pays, what Canada pays. And it certainly it's below um, like what, we, what workers in Colorado or New York or California get. And in, it's, for instance, 29% lower than workers got in 1969, 1968. So the minimum wage is clearly too low, and that causes, um, you know, a lot of people to um, work and still remain in poverty. First of all, historically speaking, why hasn't this moved since 2009, even for something like a cost of living increase? Yeah, so it, it hasn't. So clearly, the minimum wage should be um, indexed to inflation. Social Security, for instance, has been indexed to inflation. Most workers, they're also indexed to inflation. So the minimum wage is not. And so the proposal is to raise it to $15. It's a good idea, um, but it may be a kind of a bridge too far in terms of they're a little too eager to raise it too high, right? And part of the problem is maybe this was a negotiating ploy in terms of, okay, well, We'll ask for 15 and then we'll negotiate to maybe 12. Unfortunately, there's been the Republicans have offered nothing. So the Republicans have said no, no minimum wage increases. So then Democrats are, since they have a majority now, are sticking with the 15, which is, uh, I think, too high. So I think um, both sides are playing this wrong. What I hear a lot of, particularly Senate Republicans, saying is, why is this the time during COVID when a lot of small businesses are already struggling? Why is now the time to introduce this and why tack it on to a COVID relief stimulus bill? Well, I mean, that's just politics, right? So that the Republicans argument is a red herring. Most of the, the way the legislation would be phrased 
is that would start in a gradual basis after COVID hits, because certainly the hospitality and retail sector has taken enormous hit, and they probably would do it $1 a year. So it, it would be phased in over, or at least maybe it would maybe jump to 10 and then be phased in over a period of five years. No Democrat is uh, pushing it to be instituted immediately. The Congressional Budget Office, uh, which is a nonpartisan organization, has estimated that about 1.4 million people would lose their jobs. Now, this sounds like a lot, but let's put this in context. We have about a, a workforce of 130, 140 million people. So that's a uh, an unemployment increase of 1%. That's not great. At the same time, the CBO has said that around approximately 25 million people would benefit. So anytime you draft legislation where you have 1.4 million people losing, but then you have 20 million, 25 million people gaining, to me, that's a win in one sense, right? Because <laughs> over 90% of the people uh, would gain and only five to 10% of people would lose their jobs. As an economist, how do you balance those different things, the lifting 900,000 people out of poverty versus causing some people to lose their jobs? How do you weigh that equation? There's always pros and cons, right? And in this case, you kind of see who gains the, um, do the majority of people gain here? And clearly the majority of people gain, though just to repeat, I mean, there are some job losses. Now those job losses could be a little bit minimized if we, um, only raise to 12. If we only raise it to $12 an hour, actually the job losses would only be a few hundred thousand. A few hundred thousand um, really is a drop in the bucket of a labor force of 140 million. And the people who um, forecasted severe job losses in Colorado when we raised our minimum wages, I wrote a paper on this for DU about this, that it would, would lead to only modest job losses until COVID, right? We had, we had uh, in the retail sector and hospitality sector, we had full employment in these sectors, despite having 12, you know, $12, 1235 minimum wages. So the fears that these would cost high job losses have been exaggerated. But let's put this in context. Colorado is a little bit more expensive than the South. So raising it to 15 probably is a little bit too much. The cost of living differs dramatically across the US, right? So we have a minimum wage in Colorado of 12. California has, in different cities in California, there are different minimum wages because California and Colorado are both expensive places to live. However, the cost of living in, our, in Arkansas and Mississippi is considerably lower. And the wages, the average wages in Mississippi and Arkansas are considerably lower than in California or Colorado. And so, $15 an hour to workers in Arkansas would imply a probably, um, you know, fairly significant job losses in uh, certain sectors, such as the, um, you know, the mall jobs and the restaurant jobs. Is the federal minimum wage rate something that's outdated? Should this be left to the states? That's a good question. And ultimately, it has been left to the states um, to a large extent. So, uh, about half the states, or a little bit more than half the states now have higher minimum wages. At the same time, though, then, you know, these the workers, unfortunately, in um, maybe conservative states, we'll say, are, are, are kind of getting screwed. They're not getting any raises. So, yes, a legitimate argument is that it could be left to the states. 
At the same time, what they could do is something relatively simple. And unfortunately, this is maybe they should have proposed this, uh, but then maybe the Democrats are a little greedy too. So both sides are maybe, uh, a little bit uh, should compromise. We do have um, official cost of living adjustments, right? And so what they could clearly do um, is they could say the base rate is going to be $12, but that's the benchmark rate. And then uh, other states will be they will, will have this sliding scale based on an official cost of living that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which keeps track of the inflation rate, has. So in other words, if, if I could transfer, there isn't there, there are many different cost of living, you know, adjustments. I mean, there's basically one provided by the BLS, but you can find these cost of living adjustments within one minute on the internet. And it tells you how wages differ and how the cost of living differs across different uh, states. So in Social Security, we have a cost of living adjustment. We could have cost of living uh, disparities for the minimum wage based on the price levels in the different states. That would, that would not be an unreasonable solution. And it would be relatively easy to institute. We've seen states take these things into their own hands too. Certain states like California have a two-tiered minimum wage system, one for small employers, one for larger employers. Nevada, I think, depends on whether an employer provides benefits. Do you think systems like these could catch on across the country? Well, yes. If we don't fix the problem, yes, they will, right? And so, have I mean, having the states do it is probably a maybe it's the best solution or maybe it's the second best solution because again um if it's not being raised states should raise it like colorado i mean i was as i mentioned i was fully supportive of colorado doing it and so the reason why they are putting the number at 15 uh though it should be facing gradually is that they think that 15 dollars is a um, livable wage right 15 dollars an hour i think looks big and eye-popping on its surface, but when you do the math, it's only about $31,000 a year before taxes. No, that's right. So if you have two kids, if you're a woman with two kids, uh, $31,000, you can, I'm not sure you can make it in Denver because, you know, Denver is uh, relatively expensive. Certainly you can not make it in Boulder, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> Denver is a rel- in Boulder are relatively expensive places. But if you lived in Pueblo, right, even there, right, even the cost of living does vary considerably across Colorado, Pueblo is considerably cheaper. But again, that's a $15 is a livable wage, uh, maybe not exactly in New York or San Francisco, but it's, that's an average across America, $15. You, do, you don't do great in Arkansas, but you can live on, you can clearly live on $15 and, um, an hour in Arkansas, or right? But, and so the, so the argument of $15 as a livable wage is a reasonable one, but again, since the cost of living, you know, differs by more than 50%. I mean, San Francisco is considerably more expensive than um, Oxford, Mississippi, that they, they could easily have a cost of living scale. I know that certain cities, specifically Seattle and San Jose, have pushed theirs over $15 an hour. Do we have a sense of how things have worked out for them? Yeah, well, so, so San, Seattle and um, San Jose are like two of the most, San Jose and Silicon Valley, right? Two of the most expensive cities in the country. And Seattle has, my, you know, Microsoft and other some tech firms. And New York City, by the way, I think has a higher minimum wage than uh, New York State. So cities with high cost of living have have higher wages and they didn't suffer. According to a 2019 poll from the Pew Institute, 
like two thirds of Americans favor raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, but it's pretty split along Democrat Republican lines. Has it always been that way? Has minimum wage always been such a partisan issue? This has been a political kind of hot potato for many years. And you can see in the states, right? The states that have higher minimum wages are Democrat states, California, Colorado, New York, New Jersey. They're all blue states. The states that have the federal minimum wage and have not raised it in 12 years are almost entirely red or Republican states. Right. It's pretty interesting that I think a CNBC poll showed that it's also pretty geographically split. Right. So the, the South and the, the Midwest, right, the Kansas and Nebraska, the Montanas, um, are all against higher minimum wages. And they're all kind of red uh, Republican states because they think they're I mean, they think it would hurt um, businesses. And I mean, the answer is yes. I mean, you, doing the math, businesses might take to two to three percent hit. I mean, that's not severe. At the same time, uh, the workers could take a positive 20% benefit if wages go up. I mean, it depends. The range could be up to 40, 50%, depending on um, what they started their wage off with. Proponents of this say that more money for workers might spark productivity. Opponents say that this might move us toward more machines instead of people in our workforce. What do you think a higher minimum wage means for the labor force at large? That's a good question. So it's probably both, right? And so the question is, which does dominate, right? So Henry Ford is the one who first said higher minimum wages would increase productivity. And he was a conservative Republican, and it, he did show it worked. So there is some evidence. I mean, in my own personal experience, higher wages make me work more. If I and just, if you think about it, for worker things are underpaid, we call it shirking. They will shirk work, which means you know they'll kind of avoid work, not show up to work, they'll be absent, or not work hard. But also, what we see at some McDonald's, for instance, is now the kiosk. We see that the kiosk sometimes in Europe with higher wages. So yes. Uh, but we've kind of thought about this, the, the kiosk is an example of new technology. For decades, in fact, for 150 years, they've been saying that technology would replace workers. So the Luddites in the 1840s in France were against the railroad in France because that would put the horse and buggy out of business, which would hurt local inns because the horse and buggy can only travel 20 miles a day. And so you'd have to stop, you know, every every 20 miles at the local inn and get drunk and stay there. Um, and so they thought that would cause tremendous job losses. It didn't, right? I mean, we've had um, we've had gradual technology increases since the 1840s and the Industrial Revolution. Yet unemployment in 2019 was at near record lows, despite having big technology relocations. So minimum wage may spur some increase in technology like kiosk and um, drive-throughs that maybe kind of are, um, with a, you, you talk to the computer, at least in the first window. Ultimately, most workers still find jobs. And that's been the case again for a hundred years that the labor market does kind of sort itself out. Let me ask you this then. Is raising the minimum wage a silver bullet for our economic issues? There's no policy that it's a silver bullet, right? To believe in a silver bullet is silly. However, the minimum wage, um, according to the Congressional Budget Office, would raise 1 million families out of poverty, but it would help nearly 25 million people earn a better standard of living. So does that address 
all issues? Certainly not. But it's certainly a good first start in, in providing um, working Americans a livable wage. That's Jack Strauss. He chairs the economics department at the University of Denver. And if you're anything like me, you're wondering right now, wait, where do I stack up? What's considered a living wage in my city? And how much would I be paid for the same work in a place like New York or San Francisco or Oxford, Mississippi? Well, fortunately, there's a calculator for that. Punch in du.edu slash radioed and crunch the numbers in our show notes. We've also linked an interactive map so you can read up on the laws and scope out the minimum wage in every U.S. state and territory. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer. Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Lauren Fultenberg, and this is Radio Ed.